0: A good week because Molly came home for Thanksgiving. and I'm so happy about that, and she's back from Oklahoma. So all of my arrows are back in the quiver, which I love, and and uh, it's good. It's good to have everybody all, all at home at once, and and that's awesome. Um, and um, by the way, it's a love hate thing I have with Molly right now because uh, while I love that she's home, uh, I hate that um, she is now company that we have to clean up for, and so. Still working that out with Jamie. (laughs) Um, But anyway, yeah, she's company that we clean up for. Um, So turn over to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to keep going in this series. Um, Matthew chapter 6. If you're using one of the Bibles from the back, it's page 811. 811. Um, So we've moved out of Matthew chapter 5 in our King's Speech series where we're looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And uh, so we finished Matthew 5 last week. We're moving on into uh, chapter 6 this week. And there's a little bit of shift in the theme. Uh, last, uh, the, for the last several weeks, we've, we've had teachings from Jesus where he's saying, you've heard it said to do this, but I'm saying to do this. And, and what the, the point of those teachings were is um, you, if you're trying to follow the law and do good things, and you're doing good things with your actions— but there has been no attitude or heart change take place in your life. Uh, So in other words, like, you know, one week he said, you know, it's good that you're not murdering people, but if you're kind of secretly wishing you could in your head, then have you really progressed much? You know, that sort of thing. And other examples with lust and and other issues that we talked about. Um, And so, again, the whole point being, it's not our actions aren't, um, the be all end all, you know. It's not. Jesus doesn't want you to act like a good Christian. That's not like he didn't. He didn't die on the cross uh, so that you would stop cussing. That's not what Jesus died on the cross for. Okay. Uh, and some of you are like, whoo! <laughs> <laughs> but um, Jesus, while while when we give our life to Him. There will be changes that come to our, <coughs> pardon me, our actions. Um, they're really more, it's more like um, symptoms of a bigger issue. So, so yeah, if you follow Jesus for a, a good period of time, your actions will change. Your life will begin to look different. Um, but that's not because Jesus is trying to make you behave differently. It's because the change that the Holy Spirit does in your heart and changing your heart and your attitude and the way you think about things, the result of those changes will bring about you making different decisions, right? And so, and a lot of times we kind of get the cart before the horse in our faith where we we decide, you know, if I'm going to be acceptable to Jesus, then, um, then I've got to stop cussing and I've got to stop you know, uh, hanging out with certain people and I've got to stop, you know, we, we have this kind of laundry list of things that we've got to stop doing. And it's all these action oriented things, but again, okay. I'm going I've told this Molly story before. I'm going to tell it once again. Actually, I don't know if I have told it before. I tell it to people. I don't know if I've ever told it in church. It's a great story. Uh, okay. So she knows what I'm getting ready to say, I think. So when Molly was five, when Molly was five, she was, uh, she had just started kindergarten and, um, and so, so, um, one morning I go to wake her up and it's oh, sweet, it's time to get up. You know, I'm trying to be gentle and wake her up and, and, uh, she's kind of groggy. And, and she said, and all of a sudden she, she just gets wide eyed. She's like, Oh, and she's, and I was like, what's wrong? She said, did I just cuss? <laughs> this is five-year-old Molly. Did I just cuss? And I said, no, what do you think you said? She said, I thought I said, damn it. And this is five-year-old Molly. And, and I said, no, you didn't say that. She's like, whew, I must have just been thinking it. <laughs> That's five-year-old Molly. <laughs> Such a great story. I must have just been thinking it. And so... That's such a great example of what I'm talking about this morning. That, that if, if if all if you have controlled your actions, but no true change has come to your heart, and you're thinking these things and wishing these type of things anyway, then then has t- change really come over you? You know, that, that's the whole point that Jesus is trying to get. That God is more concerned with the condition of your heart than necessarily with the actions. Now, the actions are important too, but they should be a result of the change that comes to your heart. Are we clear on that? We've spent several weeks on that issue. Are we clear on that? Okay, so Jesus goes now into Matthew chapter six and, and there's a shift um, in, 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 in this teaching. And and so for the next uh, 24 verses that we're going to handle today, uh, there's a lot of ground to cover today. Um, in fact, I, this could easily be about three sermons. I'm cramming it all into one sermon because I want to finish this thing before Christmas. and and uh, And so... But in this message, Jesus starts dealing with something different, and and he kind of tells us what the theme of of the next several passages are in the very first verse here, where he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. So everything we're going to talk about for the rest of our time today has to deal with this principle right here. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen. Um, now years ago in, uh, church land, it was very, uh, kind of the, the way church people tended to operate. And if you grew up in church, you you, you probably remember this and know what I'm talking about was there were a lot of people trying to look religious. Um, but again, not a lot of personal relationship going on with with Christ. So, so I'm going to do these things. I'm going to I'm going to go to church. I'm going to I'm going to give. Uh I'm going to uh you know do you know whatever. I'm going to do these religious looking things. I'm going to I'm going to pray. I remember when I was a kid, we would have uh, occasionally uh, we lived in this little bitty town uh Stuart, Oklahoma, about 300 people. And my dad pastored a small church there, 40 or 50 people. And uh, occasionally he would call for an altar of prayer. And, and we had these two little altars up, you know, like kneeling benches up front. And, uh, and everybody would come gather around those those altars, and we would all pray. But it wasn't like, you know, like I would normally say, you know, uh, Brother Scott, why don't you lead us in prayer? And Scott would pray, and we would kind of all be praying quietly. No, it would be like, you know, my dad would just start praying, and then everybody would try to pray over the top of him. It was just this... Just this noise, 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 and and everybody trying to pray as loud as they can, mostly the the men, but trying to pray as loud as they could. And and it was almost like, at least, you know, as a young person, it looked like this contest to see who could be heard the loudest. And, And so the tradition back in church back in the day was I want to look as religious as possible, but there wasn't a lot of talk or a lot of evidence of personal relationship with people, having personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It was all. A lot of it, at least my, impur- my impression of it, and probably probably yours if you grew up in similar situations, it, it just seemed a little false. Now, that was when the pendulum had swung far this way. Now, fast forward to today, the pendulum has swung and oh, and, and I think possibly overcorrected again to where we tend to be so focused on our relationship with Jesus Christ and not looking religious— that I think we we have a tendency to, um, again, we kind of overcorrect it, that there are certain, we, we, religion has become this dirty word, and we talked a couple of weeks ago that it's actually not a dirty word. There's nothing wrong with the word religion. There's nothing wrong with being a religious person, as long as it is, pure religion, true religion that the Bible teaches us. And that's what Jesus is going to teach us about today is, is, is religion. And he's going to, he's going to show us kind of, kind of two sides of the coin on several different issues, different issues like giving and prayer and fasting and things like this. These kind of outward things that we do, religious habits, religious practices, uh, you might call them disciplines that we uh, partake in in order to maintain a relationship with Jesus Christ – and Jesus' whole point in, in this teaching that we're going to go through today is if you are all about what people see you do rather than having something that goes deeper than just doing it for showy reasons, then it's kind of what he talked about in the last chapter, then has, has change actually come to your life? Because we talked about before, that, that, that one of the easiest things to change is our actions. One of the easiest things you can do is adopt a new practice or, but it's because you can do that. You can control that, but only God can change our hearts. And Jesus is once again, wanting us to get to the issue of heart change and making sure that, that we're not being so outwardly religious uh, for the sake of kind of showing how religious we are, that we, um, that we miss out on the relationship that he really wants to have with us. Now, again, for us, since we've overcorrected, this is actually, I think, for most of us, kind of a, um, an easy issue. I think I'll be kind of preaching to the choir on most of these type of things because our tendency is to do this. Um, however, I think there's still, there's still some good things. So the first point there is we need to check our public faith motives. Check your public faith motives. Um, that I don't think there's anything wrong. I think the Bible will... Um, will uh, stand with me on this or i 'll stand with the bible I should say and and that there 's nothing wrong with practicing your faith publicly, but check the motives of why you 're doing what you 're doing. Are you uh, practicing religious in a way, religion in a way that people can see just so that people can see it or 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 are there times when public faith is um, required and necessary and beneficial and, and that sort of thing. Now, um, Jesus is going to lay out, a, a, again, we've talked about that this, this sermon, this, this passage of scripture is really about Jesus laying out. If you're going to be a member of a citizen of my kingdom, then this is what your life is going to look like. And for the next 24 verses, he's going to lay out a, a, a prescription for a private faith, a private religion. Um, now that does not mean that Jesus uh, was saying that we should only practice religion in private, because there are times. Because keep in mind, as Jesus is teaching this, uh, he's preaching out loud to a crowd of several thousand people. So obviously, he didn't think that it, you know private was always the you know the prescription of the day. There are times when we gather together that it is beneficial. There are times when you gather with other people. Uh, other believers and things and encourage one another that that sort of thing is beneficial. Um, But again, it's all about our motives. It's all about our heart behind the issue. When you're practicing faith publicly, where people can see it, when you're doing religious activity publicly, where people can see it, what are your motives? Are your motives, and again, it's something only you can answer with the help of the Holy Spirit If you invite him to kind of guide you through that process, Holy Spirit, help me to check my motives, point out any impurity that might be in my reasoning here. And you ask that, and I think the Holy Spirit will help you in that process to discern, um, am I doing this just for show or am I doing this because I, I, I feel like I need to do this or God's leading me to do this or or if this is about my relationship, or it's about encouraging someone else, or, or, or maybe teaching someone else, or whatever that might be. Um, and again, that's something you can only answer for yourself. So let's keep reading. Now, I, I, I was going to spend some time on each of these, but we just don't have time, and I've already spent too much time. So what I'm going to do is uh, there's about three or four issues here Jesus is going to deal with. I'm going to hit about three of them really quickly. I'm going to spend some some time on his teaching about prayer and, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll make our way through this. So verse 2 says this. So it says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocr- hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The principle here is give to glorify God, not yourself. Give to glorify God, not yourself. In other words, when we give, and and Jesus is not saying don't give. He's he's assuming that you're going to give. he's saying when you give to the needy, when you give in the way that my word has commanded you to give, don't do it in some sort of showy way. And uh, there's another story in in, uh, the Gospels where, uh, Jesus and his disciples are in the temple and uh, people are bringing their gifts to the temple, their uh, money, monetary gifts and some things like that. And they had these uh, large collection receptacles for uh, the offering and they were uh, made of brass and things like that. And, and the Pharisees, who tended to practice their faith in a very showy, open way, uh, you know, uh, kind of overly religious type of thing, what they would do is they would bring, you know, they, they, they would take... Um, bring the money that they were going to give and and just bring as many coins as possible. You know, like let's bring pennies. Let's bring a bunch. And they would bring as many coins as possible and then they would dump it into this receptacle and it would just clang 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 all over that thing and 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 all the attention would come to them and they appreciated that attention. They wanted everybody to know when they were giving, how much they were giving. They wanted it to be very obvious. And another uh, lady comes and and gives just uh, what, what was called the widow's mite—just uh, just 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 literally a couple of cents, all she had. She she drops it in there, and it's like plink plink, right? And Jesus teaches his disciples at the time. He's like, she actually gave more, and they're like, what? She gave more because she gave all. She gave more because she gave all that she had. These guys, they, it sounded like they gave a lot, and 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 when you're actually measuring dollars and cents, they gave you know more on paper, but Jesus said it didn't it didn't cost them anything <laughs> excuse me it didn't cost them anything it didn't, there was no sacrifice involved in it. they gave out of just the overflow of what they had this this woman came she gave everything she had so so god's way of measuring giving is much different than ours we might we might look at it in terms of you know if we were to to fall into this trap of kind of the comparison game of feeling, you know, I feel guilty because maybe I don't give as much as somebody else in the church that I know they give a lot or or whatever, you know, and, and, and you start kind of doing this comparison thing, but it's not about most with God, it's about percentage with God. Percentage is a bigger deal with God than total. And you, say, you might say that that sounds that sounds kind of squirrely, but it's just it's actually a universal principle. You know this. In fact, if you've ever, uh, who, who here has ever waited tables before? I, okay, lots of you. So I waited tables uh, when I was in college at a, a pie shop, and it was a, it was a wonderful, wonderful job. And, um, and so I, if you've ever waited tables, you know this principle is true. Uh, because if you, uh, if somebody comes in, and, and this would often happen, somebody would come in and have, you know, a cup of coffee and a slice of pie, and maybe their total bill was five or six bucks or whatever, and, but they give, you know, 15 or 20%, and, and, and that, that's, that's a reasonable thing. Then you would have the large table full of people and tons of kids come in where there's just food left all over the floor, horrible mess. You worked your tail off to serve them and keep their glasses full and everything else. And they leave you um, maybe a $10 tip, um, but it was like a $200 bill. And you're thinking, those jerks. You know, that's what you're thinking. You're thinking, those jerks. I worked my tail off. And be, why? Because a percentage is a bigger deal than the total. And it's the same thing with God. God's not so much concerned with, with uh, the amount that you give as much as he is with the percentage that you give. In other words, uh, is, it, is it a sacrifice for you? Is it a sacrifice for you? And we're called to give in sacrificial ways. But Jesus also points out in this passage that we're called to give in ways that don't draw attention to ourselves. It's, it's, it's why when we take up an offering around, around here, we don't allow any of you to come up here and present giant checks to the church. That's not because we're not doing this thing for showy, showy reasons. We're doing it because God has called us to us to it and we want to be obedient. And this is why also when you give to people that are in need outside the church, I strongly encourage you to do it in ways that won't come back and reflect on you, but will rather bring glory to God. Because when you do that, amazing things happen. First of all, you still get all the joy. You still get all the joy of giving that gift. And when you do it secretly, um, you allow God to get 100% of the glory. And rather than pointing that person that you have given to, rather than pointing that person to the fact that, wow, Jeff is such a generous person because he helped me out. When you do that secretly, they're forced to go, wow, thank you, God. I needed this and you came through for me. And honestly, which response would you rather a person have? We want to point people to God. And that's Jesus' whole point here. Okay? So let's get into prayer. Verse 5. And when you pray, (coughs) you must not be like the uh, hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. (coughs) Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, um, the first point kind of about prayer here is that uh, we need to pray secretly. Pray secret. I must kind of stop right there. We're going to go further, but I'm going to stop right there for just a second. Now, Jesus kind of commands us to pray secretly. Now, is it is it wrong to pray publicly? No. There are occasions again when we're gathered together for corporate worship. It's a good thing to pray publicly when uh, maybe you're gathered with a few friends and somebody mentions a need or, or or somebody needs some encouragement or whatever. I think that's a good thing to publicly kind of pray over those people. That's a that's a great thing. <clears throat> but if all of your praying is only in public, and you never do private praying, can I just tell you, you're missing out on the sweet spot of your prayer life. You're missing out on the sweet spot of your prayer life. That the vast, vast majority of your prayer life should be you and God. And that's it, that's it. And I think a lot of times we will say, there. I hear people say a lot of times, I really struggle with prayer. I really struggle to know how to pray or I don't know if my prayers are effective or, or whatever. And I, I think not all the time, but I think a lot of the time what people are actually saying is I'm not taking time to pray. I'm not taking time to pray. There's no, there's no secret um, formula to pray. You just talk to God. You just talk it it, that's it you just say what's on your mind and and spend time with him and then even more than talking spend time listening to him just get quiet kind of center down and get get inside your own head and and allow the holy spirit to kind of just speak uh words to you and 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 that just happens through where god will guide your thoughts and things like that and but but spend time one-on-one with god pray in secret now jesus gives us a I I just said there was no formula for prayer, and now Jesus gives us a formula for prayer. Here here, here we go. All right, verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up (coughs) empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And do not uh, be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9. Pray then like this. Why Why don't you all read this with me? Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So Jesus gives. He's like, when you pray, pray like this. And he has just told them, don't don't think you got to pray these super duper long prayers full of flowery words. And I remember when I was a kid. You know those old prayer meetings I was talking about earlier. Like, like these, this was in a small farming town, uh, teeny tiny little town. Everybody knew everybody. Everybody, you know, pretty much came to church in their overalls, and I mean, it was just this, just just farming community, right? And yet, these guys, uh, who um, if they were most of them, who were, you know, if they were to be given an English test, would probably fail it miserably felt whenever it's time to pray, I got to pray in the King James English. And they're praying with these and thou's and thus and thine and this and, and, and just, this, this big flower that they would never ever use in their, their everyday normal life. They're not, you just don't talk that way. We don't talk that way. There's a reason we don't talk that way because it's ridiculous. And, and, and so, and, and, but anyway, so this sort of flowery language, Jesus said, don't do that. Don't feel like you got to, uh, you know, pray beautiful prayers. I hear a lot of times people will say, I love listening to that person pray. They pray, they pray such beautiful prayers. There's nothing wrong if, if that's kind of your natural prayer language and, 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 and you pray like that. But don't be envious of other people's prayers. Your prayers are just as beautiful before God as anybody else's. And so continue to pray like that. So then Jesus gives us this. He says, when you pray, rather than praying like that, just pray, pray in this kind of very simple way and he, he goes off in, into what we uh, was become known as the lord's prayer. And so this is what the the lord's pr- uh, prayer teaches. Not only should we be praying secretly, but when we pray, we pray to our father. He starts off with our father in heaven. That's that's a huge thing. It's the first couple of words, but it don't skip over how big of a deal that is. He doesn't call us to pray to some fancy Jewish names of God or whatever else like that. He doesn't call us to pray, uh, you know, uh, he just calls us to pray, Father, Father. It's such a casual way to approach the God of the universe who created every cell in your being and everything that exists. It's such a casual way to approach such a powerful, powerful being just to go to him as Father. Father. Father, and and I think the, the, the intent behind that is not just uh, that we should relate to God as Father, because there's a lot there that I could go into that I'm not going to go into, but I think the biggest, if, if you really want to kind of distill it down to, to, to the biggest deal, is that when we pray to God as Father, that's a very relational, like like the other day I took Meta to the dentist, and I'm filling out her dentist paperwork. And, you know, I've had to fill in my name. And it's like, what's your relation to her? I'm her father, right? Father is a very relational term. And it again goes back to that concept that Jesus wants us living in relationship with him, not just some sort of distant, detached, religious practice type thing that we do. He's our father and we relate to him in that way. The other thing is that uh, not only do we pray to our Father, we pray for His kingdom transformation. Verse ten says, "Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." A lot of times, we tend to focus on our prayers on, uh, Lord, I pray that you'll, you know, deliver me to heaven someday. And Jesus actually teaches us that we pray that heaven would come to earth, that that your will would be done on here on earth. Right here, right now, that your will would be done on earth just as it's currently be done, being done in heaven. That heaven, that somehow heaven would kind of rain down into earth and we would get a glimpse of eternity right here and right now. And what Jesus is teaching us is, is pray for the kingdom of God to transform this place that we currently exist in. And that happens when we kind of uh, courageously. Uh, faithfully go out into the world and become agents of change for the kingdom. And that happens in so many different ways. It doesn't just happen within the walls of a church building. It happens in the way that you do work, in the way that you do school, in the way that you live with your neighbors, in the way that you do uh, um, government, and the way that you all kinds of different things. And we go out, we are sent out, like your whole faith Experience does not happen in here. If it's only happening in here, you're missing the point that this should be a place where you come and you worship and you get filled up and you get equipped to go out and do the real work that God has called you to do. And so we become agents of change, agents agents of transformation in God's kingdom, right here, right now, in this place, in this place. He then goes on uh, to talk about how not only should we uh, pray to God as our father and pray for his kingdom transformation, but we pray for our needs to be met. Our needs to be met. Verse 11, give us this day, everybody say that word, our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. I think we actually fall into a, a, a very nasty habit of praying, God, give me this day my daily bread. I think one of the things that, that not only is Jesus teaching us dependence on God as our father, but he's also teaching us that, uh, that we should pray for all of us. God, give, I think a lot of times when we pray, give us our, our daily bread, I, our mind tends to focus on, Lord, take care of my needs. What if you switched, What if you did a little switch in your attitude in that prayer, and that prayer became not just about you, but God, not only meet my needs, but would you meet the needs of all of my brothers and sisters? In fact, would you would you allow us to help you meet the needs of everyone in our community? Give us this day, or our daily bread. Provide for all of us. This is why Christians, one of the reasons Christians have such a heart for helping people in need. Not just in our own neighborhoods or in our own church, but also all across the planet. I mean, there, there's reasons that we send out... Uh, missionaries and mission teams short term and that sort of thing to go out and do these projects where we help bring clean water to people and we help uh, kids in orphanages and we help uh, people uh, build houses or churches and that sort of thing. It's because we take very seriously Jesus' command to us that when we pray to give us this day our daily bread. It's not just about me, it's about all of us. And then he goes on to tell us that when we pray, we need to be praying for forgiveness, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, the forgiveness is a big issue there. I'm going to come back to it. Put, put, a, put a bookmark on that. Verse 13, he teaches us that we need to be praying for faith in the face of evil. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or if, Okay, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The the, the the insinuation there is not if you experience evil times, but when you experience evil times. Lord, do, deliver me from that. Help me to be faithful in the faith. This is what you all need to know. That becoming a follower of Jesus Christ is not some sort of spiritual get-out-of-jail-free card. It's just a get-out-of-hell-free card is all it is. Uh, it's, it's not some sort of spiritual get-out-of-jail-free card where nothing bad's ever going to happen to you. Where suddenly... Uh, evil people will suddenly just turn and walk away from you and never bug you or or, or evil circumstances will never uh, impact you. That's not what the Christian life is all about. You need to bank on the fact <clears throat> that just, that honestly, I think the, the, as a Christian, the target on our back for evil grows a little bit larger. Because if, if Satan can sidetrack us, then that's a good day for him. That's a good day for him. And so we as followers of Jesus Christ need to know that that when we're following God, evil will still happen in our lives. And our prayer rather should be, uh, God, uh, when these evil times come, when these hard times come, when I'm under spiritual attack, help me not to buckle, but help me to stay faithful to you. Help me not to point everybody to all the attention to me because I'm going through this super hard time and that sort of thing. Rather, God, help me to find a way to give you the glory in all of this. Help me to be faithful in the face of evil. All right, let's keep reading. Now he follows up that prayer. He's just prayed uh, the Lord's prayer. And then in verse 14, he says, for if you forgive others, their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. I find it really interesting that out of everything he prayed in that prayer, the only thing he gives commentary on is the idea of forgiveness. Because he has just taught his followers to pray, Father, uh, forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive others of theirs. In other words, forgive me, God, in the same way, that I forgive others, and then he and then here's his commentary. Uh, but if you don't forgive others, their trespasses, trespasses neither will your Father forgive you. Now, that's a harsh, harsh teaching. Anybody here? Uh, um, you don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise my hand. Uh, but anybody have a hard time forgiving people occasionally? Yeah. Okay. You, you raise your hand. That's good. Yeah. Sometimes forgiveness is difficult. I mean, really, really difficult. When we've been wounded so deeply, there are times when it is, it is near impossible for us to exercise forgiveness in the way that God calls us to exercise forgiveness. And Jesus says, if you want to ask me for forgiveness, you need to be willing to forgive other people. Now you might in your, you know, some of you, your theology is kicking in and you're starting to think, okay, uh, I thought, you know, Our forgiveness, this grace, that it's all a free gift from God. It's not by anything that we do. And Jesus is making it sound like that it's all contingent on the way that we forgive others. I think really what Jesus is teaching here is this. If you have uh, gone to Christ for forgiveness and you still have uh, the inability to forgive other people, then I don't think you really understand the gospel. I think the gospel is far from your heart because once it sinks in how much you've been forgiven of, the natural response will be for you to be a more forgiving person. Doesn't necessarily mean you'll be perfect in it, but you should be, as we talked about last week, moving in that direction, moving in that direction. Jesus teaches here a little bit about fasting. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And this is kind of the same principles that we talked about earlier with giving and with prayer. That Again, and and by the way, he didn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. Jesus assumes that fasting is going to be a regular part of our life as Americans, fasting is not something that we do well at all. Like it bugs me to fast before a blood test. I hate that. Um, and so, but Jesus assumes that fasting is going to be something that we always engage in, that we regularly engage in. And I've never, I've shared this before, I'll share it with you again real quickly, that fasting has never been something that I uh, historically in my life understood, understood the need for, the benefit of, that sort of thing. Uh, Until I read a book by uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer called The The Cost of Discipleship. And in this book, Bonhoeffer describes fasting like this. Fasting is my way of teaching my body that it is not in control of me, that that I am only controlled by God. And in that moment, fasting suddenly made sense. Like, I don't want to be controlled, even in my physical body, I don't want to be controlled by anything or anyone than God. And that's, that's, I think, the primary purpose of fasting. The Bible talks about going into periods of fasting for special prayer needs and that sort of thing. But it, again, I think the, the biggest intent is that we teach our body that our body is not in control of us. Now, verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For there your, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. <coughs> you cannot serve God and money. Okay, this is where we're going to stop for today. And just to kind of sum up everything that he, sa- he said there is this, that we need to rearrange our priorities as, uh, as, um, as a kingdom citizen. We need to rearrange our priorities as citizens of the kingdom of God. That your priority is not going to be money as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Your priority is not going to be your stuff as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Instead, you're gonna, your priority is going to be the kingdom of God that when we lay up treasures, when we invest in the kingdom, that that is a guaranteed return on investment. A guaranteed return on investment. That's why I have no problem asking people to become regular, faithful, obedient givers to your local church. Why? Because the Bible commands it. And two, because it is is in your best interest. It is a guaranteed return on that investment that when we are obey God in that and when we, when we place him as first priority above our investments and above our stuff and above you know, our, our houses and boats and cars and anything else that we might accumulate or whatever else, that we are investing in something that we will definitely see a return on. Again, as is the whole point of all of this, people who are citizens of God's kingdom have different priorities than the rest of the world. And we as a church need to reflect that. We do, we need to reflect that. But there should be something about us as Living Hope Church that kind of stands out in this community as they are a peculiar people over there. Like they, they, they do things a little bit differently. They don't kind of meet the standard of what, most, of what we think of of most churches, that there's something different about them. That's a good thing for us. And that happens when we obediently follow Christ. And even in our religion, even in our religious practices, We allow our attitude and our heart to be transformed. We don't do it just for show. We do it for relationship. That's what God's calling us to. So don't don't neglect giving. Don't neglect prayer. Don't neglect fasting. And don't neglect uh, having your priorities in the right place and, and any of that. You should absolutely do all of that. But make sure your first priority in doing all of those things is the pleasing of your Father, not the pleasing of the people seated around you. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word to us this morning. And um, it's, um, it's an honor and a joy to follow you both, both religiously and relationally. God, I want my practices, the disciplines that I adopt for my life to keep me close to you, I want them to do just that. I want them to help me keep close to you. God, whenever I become um, arrogant, or when my ego gets in the way. And uh, I, if, if I ever start to slip into an attitude of wanting to make sure people can see how it is that I'm living for you, uh, for, for, for reasons that would bring me glory instead of you, God, uh, convict me of that and, uh, and uh, just uh, change my mind, turn my mind around to focus back on you. God, we wanna give you all the praise and all the glory. We do this for you. We're not doing this for us. You alone are worthy of the praise. You alone are worthy of the glory. So let everything that we do be, be done to bring you glory. Help us through that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.